Are your wiper blades chattering, skipping, or squeaking? Don't let streaks or smearing on your windshield compromise your visibility. When it's time to replace your wiper blades, stop by O'Reilly Auto Parts and see our selection. Our professional parts people will even install your new wiper blades while you wait. Stop by O'Reilly Auto Parts today. Oh, 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 O'Reilly Auto Parts. I'm sure a lot of you guys remember the old ceremonial hunting tradition of eating the heart out of the first animal you kill. Meat from those organs are among the most nutrient-rich foods on the planet. You can get those same benefits your ancestors craved via convenient daily capsules from Heart and Soil. Find out more at heartandsoil.co. And remember, use code MEATEATER for 10% off your purchase. What's the best way to fish like a local? What if you could book a trip with an experienced local guide with the click of a button? Now you can with Fishing Booker. Now anyone can access enjoyable fishing experiences anywhere. Take the legwork out of setting up that trip and explore more than 30,000 fishing experiences at your fingertips. Just go to fishingbooker.com to get started and book your trip with a local guide. That's fishingbooker.com. Fishing Booker. Fish like a local. From Mediator's World News Headquarters in Bozeman, Montana, this is Cal's Week in Review, presented by Steel. Steel products are available only at authorized dealers. For more, go to steeldealers.com. Now, here's your host, Ryan Cal Callahan. Parts of South Florida are under quarantine after officials sounded the alarm about an invasion of giant African land snails. Don't worry, they won't be here for some time. I mean, they're here, but, you know, that's a snail joke. They move slow. Giant African land snails can grow to be nearly 8 inches long, and they eat at least 500 different types of plants. Even more terrifying to South Florida residents, and I swear I'm not making this up, they've also been known to consume plaster and stucco off of buildings. Which, if you were affected by the hurricanes last season, you probably don't need a new critter to ruin your home. I mean, you're in Florida. You have carpenter ants, termites, mold, and humidity already. The snails are native to East Africa and considered a dangerous invasive in the U.S. They've been in Florida since the 1960s, where they pose threats to agriculture and human health. The Florida Department of Agriculture calls them, quote, one of the most damaging snails in the world. The species was supposedly eradicated twice in the state, once in the 1970s and then again just a few years ago but now it's been found in Lee and Pasco counties where residents are under strict instructions not to move snails, plants, soil, or yard waste outside those counties. South Floridians are not only concerned about their palm trees, plaster, and azaleas, giant African land snails have also been known to carry a particularly nasty pathogen called a rat lungworm. This parasitic worm can cause meningitis in humans, which if you recall from past episodes of the Week in Review, Several people have died horrible deaths after eating carriers of the rat lungworm, like slugs and snails, on seemingly harmless dares. So, if you see an especially large snail slithering on the sidewalk near Tampa or Fort Myers, don't encourage your friend to eat it because you think it'd be funny. Do everyone a favor instead and grab the salt. This week, we've got some housekeeping legislations and the crime desk, but first I'm going to tell you about my week 
which was awesome. Hopped a flight down to Florida, where I met up with my good friend and artist, Ed Anderson. Ed had rounded up several of his buddies to fish with, Captain Lacey Kelly out of Homosassa, Reeves Carlisle off of Marcos Island, and Brian Neal, who drove all the way down from Thunderbolt, Georgia, which is a phenomenal name of a town I never knew existed. We fished fairly seriously, supported the local economy, and generally just had a good time. If you're looking for tarpon on Marcos Island, give Reeves a call. He knows his stuff. He grew up there. If you're looking for tarpon a little further north, like Homosassa, give Lacey Kelly a shout. And if you're ever in the greater Savannah area and just need a little space, give Brian a call at Low Country Drifters. He does eco tours up there, and he's insanely gifted at hanging out with humans. Lots of historical knowledge. You get to see Savannah and the barrier islands from the water, ditch the people. You may even find a megalodon tooth, which is part of the reason I'm going to line a trip up with them. Veteran owned and operated. Awesome. If you're sick of the shout outs, I get it. But when you get a weekend to just hang out with a bunch of great folks, I will not apologize for giving blatant shout outs. Give them a call. Quick fishing story. We found tarpon, and that was a blast. We landed one, but jumped a couple more, watching big fish engulf a teeny tiny fly will always be amazing. I've hit all the super cool facts about tarpon on this podcast enough, but if you want to do some research on your own, just look up obligate air breather and fish in the fossil record, living fossils. Anyway, I also talked old Ed into hitting the water after hours to fish dock lights for snook. Much to my surprise, certain individuals do not like this. I don't know why. It's very strange to me, but we got, uh, I can't really say yelled at, but talked at by an old codger sitting in the dark, warned us not to hit his underwater dock light, which people put out underwater dock lights to attract bait fish, which in turn attract bigger, more fun fish like the snook we were after. Now, I totally agree that breaking people's stuff is bad, but we were throwing tiny flies that stay in the top 18 inches of the water column, and the dock light was probably submerged at least 10 feet on the bottom. So I deduced that the warning was not about the light. Anyway, that was strange to me. If I was a retiree on some back canal in Florida, I would have a light array specifically set up to attract as much bait and fishermen as possible. After all, the second best thing to catch and fish is watching somebody else catch one. Also, brush for bucks, April 8th, outside of Mountain Home, Idaho. The Hushin Crew, First Light, Mule Deer Foundation, along with Idaho Fish and Game, have a great volunteer-slash-pay-it-forward opportunity. You'll get some swag, including a real-deal, limited-edition Ed Anderson cap or t-shirt, a bison burger, and mule deer knowledge by restoring Mule Deer Winter Range. I'll be there too, and I'm bringing as much of the crew with me as I can. For more information, check out firstlight.com. Moving on to the corrections desk. In episode 203, I told you about two Wisconsin legislators who are pushing a bill that would require a population goal in the next wolf management plan. In that segment, I incorrectly stated that the current plan calls for a population limit of 350 wolves. Listener Mark Rasmussen wrote in to point out that the plan actually calls for 350 to be the threshold at which active management can take place. In other words, the state isn't aiming to cap the population at 350, 
but once the wolf population exceeds that number, officials can begin allowing proactive control on hunter harvest. In episode 204, I said that Kansas was the first Midwestern state to ban the use of trail cams on public land. Listener Dan White sent me an email noting that Missouri has had a public land trail cam ban for several years now. No one is allowed to place trail cams on lands owned or leased by the State Department of Conservation, also known as conservation areas. I'll be honest, Missouri has always struck me as more of a southern state than a midwestern state, but, you know, that's just picking the ant poop out of the pepper, as they say. I also have an update on the Alaska land transfer program we covered last episode. To recap, this new program would transfer BLM land to the state, and the state would sell it or lease it to fund the University of Alaska. While it's true that the land transfer program was written into an omnibus bill passed by Congress, Alaska state officials are still collecting public comments. I heard from Cody Straith, a local business owner who lives in the area where land is likely to be sold. He spoke with Lacey Hamner, a natural resources manager with the state of Alaska and the person in charge of managing the transfer. She would like concerned citizens to submit comments directly to her email at lacey.hamner, that's H-A-M-N. N-E-R, at alaska.gov. The feds aren't requiring public comments, but she wants to gather some anyway. So, if you live in Alaska or care about what happens to the Denali Highway area, send an email to Lacey. Moving on to the legislative desk. In Kentucky, Governor Andy Beshear vetoed a bill that would provide public access to approximately 54,000 acres of land in Kentucky's Elk Zone. Senate Bill 241 would also compel landowners to develop their land in a manner that is consistent with conservation goals in the area. Kentucky's Legislative Sportsman's Caucus is working to garner enough votes to override the governor's veto. The New Hampshire Fish and Game Commission is considering a policy that would require hunters to bring bear carcasses to a designated site for registration, instead of waiting for a conservation officer to come and do it in the field. The change comes in response to a growing bear population and corresponding harvest numbers. In years past, hunters would only harvest between 300 and 500 bears. Now that they're harvesting over 1,000 bears every year, the Game Commission wants to institute a system that will get bears registered in a more timely manner. The commission is also considering a variety of new deer hunting regulations, including an increase in the number of tags in some regions, establishing online deer registration, and making it legal to kill a deer with a bow and arrow under a muzzleloader license. If you'd like to weigh in, you can attend the April 4th meeting in Keene or the April 5th meeting in Lancaster. We'll post the details over at meateater.com forward slash cal. Moving north of the border, The province of Manitoba has issued new regulations designed to limit the number of foreign duck hunters in the province. In past years, American duck hunters could use a foreign game bird license to hunt in the province under the same rules as Manitobans. Now that the same license will only allow hunters to hunt in the province for seven days, and it can only be obtained either by entering a draw process or booking with a licensed outfitter, this is obviously a bummer for hunters in Minnesota, North Dakota, and Wisconsin but Manitoba hunters are reportedly having trouble getting access to good hunting spots, and officials decided to prioritize resident hunters over non-residents. In Michigan, House Bills 4138, 4142, and 4143 would combine to create a registration system for long guns in the state. 
Michigan already requires handgun owners to register their firearms, but these bills would expand that system to include all firearms. Obtaining a license does not require gun owners to pass a training class, but it does require them to submit an application and delays the purchasing process. The bills will also criminalize the private transfer of firearms. The bills passed the House by three votes and the Senate by only two. They're now headed to Governor Gretchen Whitmer's desk. So, if you'd like to get involved, give her a call. Moving on to the Great Salt Lake desk. In news that sent shockwaves around the political universe, the Utah State Legislature has officially chosen a state crustacean, the brine shrimp, or Artemia franciscana. The brine shrimp has been honored as the state's only officially sanctioned crustacean. The bill passed by overwhelming margins in both legislative chambers, although 24 House members voted against the measure. Brine shrimp live in the Great Salt Lake, and the harvest of their eggs contributes to a multi-billion dollar business in Utah. The brine shrimp fishery at the Great Salt Lake supplies over 40% of the worldwide demand for brine shrimp, whose eggs are harvested and used as food for fish and other kinds of shrimp. A variety of birds also feed on the brine shrimp, including some types of waterfowl. John Luft, program manager for the Utah Division of Wildlife Resources, said, The importance of the brine shrimp in the Great Salt Lake ecosystem can't be overstated. Utah gets a little carried away with state designations. They also have a state work of land art, a state dinosaur, and a state cooking pot. But they have good reason to call attention to the Great Salt Lake. A 2023 report from Brigham Young University warned that if no action is taken, the Great Salt Lake could go completely dry in five years. The lake is 19 feet below its 1850 levels, and it's lost 73% of its water and 60% of its surface area since 1850. The report's authors point to increased water consumption and climate change as the main culprits. Utah's population is growing and using more water at the same time the area is experiencing a drought. The paper's authors say that saving the lake will require cutting consumptive use in the watershed by a third to a half. The consequences of a dry salt lake would obviously be devastating to the animals that rely on the ecosystem to survive. Scientists also worry about the impact on air quality if the lake bed turns into a giant dust bowl. Air quality in Salt Lake City isn't great as it is, and adding a bunch of saline lake dust isn't going to help. It's also hard to do much waterfowl hunting without water. A dry salt lake will end waterfowl hunting in the area and destroy a vital piece of habitat along the Pacific Flyway. There are no easy solutions to this problem. Scientists say that raising the lake's levels will require a massive conservation effort and even larger piles of money, much of which will likely come from the taxpayer. Several bills were proposed this year, many of which failed to make it across the finish line. Legislators pointed to near-record amounts of snowfall as they blocked emergency measures, though one year of solid rain and snow won't be enough to reverse a decades-long trend. A bill passed to help farmers make their irrigation systems more efficient, but other bills failed that would have limited residential water use and bought up water rights around the lake. If you live in Utah, This is one issue you should get educated about. A state crustacean is great, but there are more important policies that need serious consideration. Let your legislators know that if the Salt Lake dries up after so many warnings from scientists, you'll be holding them accountable. Hey, here's a simple but very meaningful gift idea for your mom or grandparent who lives across the country. 
These are great, dude. These are really nice things to give to people. It's a digital picture frame from Aura. It's perfect for sharing pics of all the things they can't be there for, from family vacations to their grandkids' graduation. Let's say your mom comes out. You take a bunch of pictures of your mom with your kids or whatever. When she goes home, you can greet her at home with all those pictures you just took on the frame. You can also keep her up to date by updating the frame from afar. It's all done online. It's a ton of fun. Comes with unlimited storage and simple controls on the frame so you can upload as many photos as you want and mom can pick the perfect one. See why it was named the number one digital frame by Wirecutter, The Strategist, and Wired. Right now, you can save on the perfect gift that keeps on giving by visiting AuraFrames.com. That's A-U-R-A Frames.com. Make sure you use the promo code MEATEATER because for a limited time, you can get $20 off their best-selling frame with that code. The code being MEATEATER. AuraFrames.com, promo code MEATEATER. We've all seen plenty of gadgets and fads come and go, but here's one product that stood the test of time. Seafoam Motor Treatment. Lots of hunters and anglers know that seafoam helps engines run better and last longer. It's really simple. When you pour it in your gas tank, seafoam cleans harmful fuel deposits that cause engine problems. I'm talking common stuff like hard starts, rough engine performance, or lost fuel economy. Seafoam is an easy way to prevent or overcome these problems. Just pour a can in your gas tank and let it clean your fuel system. You probably know someone who has used a can of seafoam to get their truck or boat going again. I guarantee you've listened to them because I use it you know, regularly. People everywhere rely on seafoam to keep their trucks, boats, and small engines running the way they should the entire season. Help your engine run better and last longer. Pick up a can of seafoam today at your local auto parts store or visit seafoamworks.com to learn more. Now, a lot of you guys are familiar with the old hunting tradition of eating, you know, some organ, the heart or a chunk of liver off the first animal you kill. I had that when I was a little kid, and it was a big deal. Organ meats were always prized by frontier people who knew the importance of getting a lot of different minerals and nutrients. And, as often is the case, those guys were on to something. Because organs are among the most nutrient-rich foods on the planet. And you can get the same benefits your ancestors craved via convenient daily capsules from heart and soil made exclusively from regeneratively raised grass-fed and finished cattle heart and soils unique freeze-drying process means all those important nutrients are trapped in ensuring you experience every one of the benefits of nature's superfood in a clean convenient taste-free capsule find out more at heartandsoil.co and make sure to use code MEATEATER for 10% off your purchase. That's heartandsoil.co. Use the code MEATEATER. Moving on to the Hunter Safety Desk. If you've heard the old journalistic adage, if it bleeds, it leads, well, we cover our fair share of bleeding on this podcast, but I also want to highlight the stories that you probably won't see on the nightly news. The New York Department of Environmental Conservation announced earlier this year that the Empire State enjoyed one of the safest hunting seasons ever recorded. Only nine hunting-related firearms incidents occurred in 2022, and only one of those resulted in a fatality. 
These numbers tied 2021 for the safest hunting season on record. Four of the nine incidents that occurred in 2022 involved two party firearm incidents, while the other five were self-inflicted. The one recorded fatality occurred due to a self-inflicted gunshot by a turkey hunter. In this tragic accident, a 76-year-old was hunting from a tree stand when he unintentionally discharged his firearm and struck himself in the hand and head. In another incident, a hunter shot at a running deer and struck another hunter who was sitting 700 yards away. The other accidents mainly involved hunters slipping and discharging their firearm into their foot or leg. Knowledgeable listeners will point out that hunters are more often injured in tree stand accidents than firearm-related accidents. New York keeps track of those too. In 2022, the agency received reports of 13 tree stand accidents, four of which were fatal. Only two of the 13 hunters involved were wearing a safety harness. Doing a little quick math, this means that in New York, in 2022, firearm-related accidents were fatal 11% of the time, while tree stand accidents were fatal over 30% of the time. Wearing that harness is just as important as practicing good firearm safety. In New York, at least, it's more important. Moving on to the crime desk. In a surprising turn of events, the two men caught cheating at an Ohio walleye tournament last year have pled guilty to felony cheating and misdemeanor animal ownership. You'll remember this pair from the viral video of the incident. We got weights and fish! Jacob Runyon and Chase Kaminsky had initially pled not guilty when they were indicted for four crimes back in October, but in exchange for their guilty plea, prosecutors dropped two of those charges. Runyon and Kaminsky are unlikely to face jail time, but they will have to forfeit their $100,000 boat and trailer, and their fishing licenses have been suspended for at least three years. It's also safe to say that their fishing tournament days are over. Jason Fisher, the man in the video who cut the weights from the fish, told Meat Eater that he doesn't see any tournament director anywhere in the country letting them enter a competition. If you want more details on this story, check out the article at TheMeatEater.com. A Minnesota man is being charged with second-degree murder after he killed another man with a moose paddle. 27-year-old Levi Axtell told authorities that he suspected 77-year-old Lawrence Scully of stalking his toddler-aged daughter. Scully was convicted of molesting a six-year-old girl all the way back in 1979, but police haven't said whether there was any truth to Axtell's claims. Whatever the case may be, Axtell decided to take matters into his own hands. According to CBS Minnesota, he crashed his car into a vehicle on Scully's driveway, entered his home, and reportedly struck the older man 15 to 20 times with a shovel. Apparently, the shovel wasn't quite doing the job because Axtell later told authorities that he grabbed a moose paddle and used it to, quote, finish him off. Axtell then turned himself into the police immediately after the incident. Another man turned himself into authorities after a far less serious but still grisly crime. The Oregon Department of Fish and Wildlife reported that a man blamed, quote, elk fever for his decision to shoot from a road into a herd of elk. Officials have not identified the man, but the 66-year-old allegedly killed one elk and wounded at least three others with a rifle chambered in 308. There were about 30 animals in the herd, and while he did possess a late-season cow elk tag, he ended up hitting at least two other cows and one bull. Game wardens put down one of the cows and the bull, and the other cow swam into the Nehalem River, where officials believe she drowned. The man harvested one of the cows and turned himself in after the landowner encouraged him to do so. 
He has been cited with one count of using a prohibited hunting method and two counts of unlawful take of an elk. Now, I'm not a doctor, but if this man is suffering from elk fever, I think there's only one real solution. I'll let famed music producer Bruce Dickinson take it from here. I got a fever, and the only prescription is more cowbell. Up in Michigan, game wardens arrested and charged two men with illegally possessing firearms and drugs after they initially pulled them over for suspected hunting violations. The two men were driving around a remote area of the Pigeon River Country State Forest when game wardens stopped their vehicle. They noticed the passenger had a 308 rifle leaned up against his right leg with a round balanced on the door handle, and the driver had a loaded 22 caliber rifle behind his seat. When questioned, they said they were, quote, out looking to hunt stuff. That may have been true, but game violations turned out to be the least of their concerns. A search of the rental car turned up two additional firearms, alcohol, several containers of crystal meth, marijuana, and evidence of drug use. Staying in Michigan, six Colorado men have been fined a combined $6,600 after they were caught using an illegal fishing method to snag salmon from the Manistee River. Game wardens seized over 460 pounds of fish, which were donated to local charities. We covered this incident back in episode 183, but the DNR just reported that the men have each been fined $1,100, I'll let the good people of the Mitten State decide whether that penalty was too harsh, not harsh enough, or just right. In another case where poaching violations led to more serious crimes, a Minnesota man was hit with firearm and drug charges after being investigated for illegal bear guiding. 55-year-old Brett Glatzmeyer was already on probation for felony livestock wrestling when officers conducted a search of his home in Becker County. As you can imagine, one thing kind of led to another, and old Brett had himself a pretty bad day. Officers noticed a corn feeder and pumpkins in his yard, and while baiting doesn't appear to be illegal in Becker County, Glatzmeyer admitted to shooting a deer out of season from his window. Officers also found eight rifles and two shotguns in his home, which are illegal for him to possess given his pending livestock rustling felony. Agents added another felony after they found a gram of meth in his bedroom. All of those crimes are on top of a misdemeanor violation after investigators discovered that Glatzmeyer had charged a woman $600 for a guided black bear hunt back in September. An Illinois man will pay over $20,000 after DNR investigators accused him of illegally harvesting 8-point and 12-point white-tailed deer. As is common in these cases, his true crimes were actually much more extensive. 58-year-old Jerry Stafford runs a high-fence hunting operation called Samson's Whitetail Mountain. I wonder if it has, like, those uh, automated animals that uh, play the banjo. That's what it sounds like. Anyway, Stafford found himself under investigation after he began advertising low-fence hunts in conjunction with the Illinois whitetail hunting season. Stafford and his unpermitted guides were apparently willing to do almost anything to get their clients a deer, They were documented hunting with the aid of a motor vehicle and the use of lights, hunting before legal shooting hours, hunting without permission, and violating tagging requirements in exchange for pleading guilty to two white-tailed buck violations and a misdemeanor for improperly disposing of an animal. He received 24 months of court supervision along with the $20,000 fine. Now, before we sign off here, boys and girls, remember, your state legislatures are in session They are making lots of decisions that involve you. They will affect you. We ran off a short list this episode, but we're getting down to crunch time here. 
new laws and regulations are going to be made. You got to pay attention. And as per usual, thank you so much for listening. And please write in to A-S-K-C-A-L. That's AskCal at TheMeatEater.com. And let me know what's going on in your neck of the woods. On top of that, head on over to www.steeldealers.com. Find a local knowledgeable steel dealer near you. They're going to get you set up with what you need, and they won't try to send you home with what you don't. Thanks again, and I'll talk to you next week. I'm sure a lot of you guys remember the old ceremonial hunting tradition of eating the heart out of the first animal you kill. Meat from those organs are among the most nutrient-rich foods on the planet. You can get those same benefits your ancestors craved via convenient daily capsules from Heart and Soil. Find out more at heartandsoil.co. And remember, use code MEATEATER for 10% off your purchase. I've been telling you guys about Land.com to help you find a place to call your own and do all the hunting and fishing and hanging with the family that you want. While owning your own piece of land is something that can generate memories, I can speak to this personally because my family, we own a couple small, beautiful little backcountry parcels. It can also generate income in both the near and long term, like starting a rental business slash family compound that can benefit both this and future generations. Check out the hundreds of thousands of rural listings from across America. Enough dreaming about it. Land.com is the place to find and invest in your open space.